The following podcast is a Clutch Media production. Welcome to They Get It. My name's Kelsey, and my co-host Emma and I love direct-to-consumer brands. Whether it's an amazing customer experience or a really killer social strategy, this podcast will feature the brands and founders who just get it. Okay, everyone, we have a really different, but a really good episode in store for you guys today. We have Sarah Landstreet, the founder of Georgette Packaging on air with us this week. And if you're curious about what Georgette does, they've somehow struck this balance between really unlikely things. So what I mean by that is they do sustainable packaging. We think of Amazon, for example, who sends so much packaging out with all of their products, and we think about the shift towards e-commerce, and we think it's at the expense of the environment. And what I was so pleasantly surprised to hear Sarah talk about is that's not necessarily the case. If you've ever been to Alfred, Sprinkles, Detour Coffee, if you've ever seen Jillian Harris's products, you've seen Georgette out in the wild. And we just had a really fun conversation with all things packaging. For entrepreneurs, this is really good information, especially if you're thinking about launching a product business or you're looking to switch up your packaging. But also for consumers, it's really educational. I know for me, I want to be as environmentally friendly as I can, but it can be hard to navigate and figure out how to do that. And so this is really informational for me and I think um, is good kind of overview of recycling and composting and when to do what and what's better and all that kind of stuff. We get into all of it on this episode. So yeah, it's a fun and very educational one. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Welcome back to another episode of They Get It. Today we have Sarah Landstreet with us, who is the CEO of Georgette Packaging, and we're going to dive all into all things packaging and help provide some education for entrepreneurs and consumers. So Sarah, to start off, how did you get into packaging? Why packaging? Why packaging? Well, um, I used to own a bakery in Northern Ireland, of all places, and it was a a challenge I had. I found that it was very easy as a small business to get business cards or a logo or build a website, but packaging remained this very opaque industry uh, that I thought was only accessible to much larger businesses, both from a knowledge perspective, but also just from a, a budget and scale perspective. And so uh, after I returned to Canada, I got really interested in that problem and started thinking about, you know, here are all these businesses who could benefit tremendously from better packaging. Um, you know, is there something, you know, could I connect the two industries, like the the packaging manufacturing sector and businesses who need better branded packaging? Hmm. Okay. Now I've never built um, a company, like a product company that where I had to deal with packaging before. Let's go back to those days when you um, had this bakery, where were you getting the packaging where you, you were using and what was good and bad about that? So I would buy, there are lots of um, kind of stock packaging um, companies out there. So you can buy blank boxes for lots of different purposes. Uh, So they're typically just white boxes and you don't really have any idea where they came from or who Mm -hmm. made them or, you know, how to dispose of them exactly. But they do the job and, you know, they're relatively affordable, Um, but they certainly don't distinguish you from any other brand. So that's what I used. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And you look at this world of like everyone is Instagramming their coffees, like any packages, these like unboxing videos are becoming so popular. You can't cut it with generic packaging anymore. Like if it doesn't add something to your brand, it's a wasted opportunity in my opinion. So I love yeah. the idea of getting to a certain point. You're like, okay, we really need to invest and start making this a bit more special. Yeah. Like, I feel like this is such a strange time in history. Like never have, have your customer, have your customers been so willing to spend their Saturday morning taking photos of your brand and promoting yeah. it for you while just like buying your products, you know? So I feel like if you can give them something to do that with, uh, you're really helping yourself. And the more smaller brands uh, that get into branded packaging, like that leaves a bigger and bigger gap between the people who don't have branded packaging and the people who are, who do, who are really benefiting from it. So like Alfred is one of your clients, right? I saw that on your website. Yeah. 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 And their branding is just beautiful. I mean, I've never been there. I've never had their products, but I see them all over Instagram and it's just, it's yeah. so cool how the packaging becomes this extension of the brand. And yeah, it's just a missed opportunity. I think if you're overlooking that. So for let's say I'm starting a new business, let's say I'm starting a coffee company and I want to rival Alfred, how do I start exploring packaging? Yeah. What are the things I should be thinking about and considering? Yeah, great question. So <clears throat> just trying to think where I would start. Um, <laughs> I would probably start with a Pinterest board. Um, but yeah, I think I think you you know you want to get like a visual in terms of what you're you're doing like obviously branding and the graphic design aspect is, is super, super important of packaging. Um, we often find that people establish their brand to a certain extent first, and then mm -hmm. they might work with a branding agency first, and then they'll start to get into the packaging side of things. Um, in terms of actually purchasing packaging, you want to decide, okay, what are my critical items that I want to start with. So mm -hmm. most brands say you own a, a coffee shop. Most brands I'd say wouldn't start with, you know, a four ounce cup and a six ounce cup and a 12 and a, you know, 18 or whatever. Right. So they'll start with, you know, we're going to sell two sizes to begin with, or <clears throat> maybe if your budget is even smaller, let me just start with sleeves. I just need something with my brand on it mm -hmm. that I can start photographing and that my customers can start to recognize. And then you can build, on that. So I'd say like tailor, you know, tailor what you want to start with to your budget. Um, we find sometimes business owners, they go so long without unbranded packaging and then they don't want to switch over just uh, one or two things they want. Yeah. Well, we don't have the budget to do everything. So we're going to stick with unbranded. I think it's fine to have your packaging be different and to build on that gradually. I also think it's really neat to do different designs for different items um, okay. like a different design for your, you know, your 12 ounce cup versus your 16 ounce cup, because <laughs> part of what people love about small businesses is they like being part of that story and that personality. They want to see you growing. And like when I wow. used to go there, they had stamp cups and then they had these, you know, then they introduced these really fun sleeves. And now every single cup they launch is totally different. Like that's part of the charm and I think the imperfection and the personality that comes with smaller businesses. So um, that's how I would approach it, I guess. I actually really like that. I even think back to like Starbucks is definitely not a small company, company, obviously, but they do different kinds of cups for Christmas, for example. And it's always fun to see which one you get. So I can only imagine yeah. these smaller brands. I can totally see that happening. Now, if you were to go back to your bakery days, how early in the process would you start investing in branded packaging? 
Really, really good question. Um, a lot of the businesses that we work with, we try to coach them around that because there's definitely, you can be too early. And um, okay. when I say too early, I just mean in terms of um, a business person's budget, how much bandwidth they have for a variety of projects. So some people will start with investment or they'll start with a couple of partners and maybe, you know, they were a professional and then they've had a couple thousand dollars to invest themselves. Other people really start from, from nothing. Um, I started my business from very much zero. And so hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had the budget or the scale to start with branded right. packaging at the beginning. So you want to tailor it, you know, if you've got a bit of investment up front, great, invest, invest early, I'd say, but yeah. I don't like to see a business owner burdened unnecessarily um, too early with, with something that um, they're not quite ready for financially. So uh, for us, anyway, the, the ideal is the moment when you have an idea of your usage. So say maybe you've started your cafe and you're seeing that you're going through, I don't know, a thousand cups a month or something, mm -hmm. then we can talk to you about, okay, that's cool. Because if we were to custom print 15,000 cups, that would take you a little over a year to use up, which is not a wild ratio. Like that's a fairly standard amount to run. Now, oh, if you were going through a hundred cups a month and you're considering a run of 15,000, I personally would be wary. <laughs> I'd be like, you might own yeah. these cups for all eternity, you know? So <laughs> like not to not be hopeful, of course, you always hope, you know, hope that for the best and the right. business is really going to grow, but you know, you want that number, that ratio to be kind of sensible and manageable. Interesting. Okay. Well, there's an obvious question here when it comes to budgeting, but I have a feeling that budget is part of it. We should talk a little bit about this quantity and minimum order size first. Do you have a certain minimum in terms of how much packaging you'll produce for a small batch order? It's different for every single product. So okay. coffee cup versus, you know, a corrugated mailer box versus a paperboard box. Um, and it depends a lot on the machinery used to make that product. So if there's a ton of setup involved, so for instance, for a paperboard box, um, which is like a bakery box, for instance, okay. um, you've got a printing press, which you have to fire up and it's, it's like a massive, massive machine. Um, and then after you've printed the boxes, you then need to die cut them, which means it's a second really big machine that you punch out the box shape. And then the third machine mm. actually folds it up and glues it. Like it looks like a Rube Goldberg machine. Oh, wow. It's very cool. And so yeah. by the time you've added up, you know, the time and the cost to kickstart and perfect each of those three parts of, of the manufacturing process, you don't want to be running a hundred boxes, right? Because yeah. it'll, it'll cost, I don't know, it'll cost $3,000 just to kickstart the machinery. And so you, you have to run a certain number through there before it makes economic sense. So that's where the minimums come from. And it's not, we have so many people who are like, but I just need 50. And I'm like, I would run 50 for you if I could. But yeah. like, you know, you're not going to want to pay $200 per box. So yeah. like, let's wait, <laughs> let's wait a little bit. Now that said, there are, you know, special manufacturing techniques we can use for smaller runs, but that's the, that's the gist of, of the majority of the packaging industry. Okay, that makes sense. And it's nice to hear that, you know, those minimums range based on the type of product. And so like you said, maybe it's just investing in a sleeve to start with that's really branded and gives some element of branding to your product and then 
kind of expanding as you're able to, that's, that's really helpful. Yeah. So for instance, in the case of your cafe, I would say use a sleeve first because you can put that on your cold cups in the summer and then you can put it on a few different sizes of your hot cups. So all of a sudden you've got maybe, you know, two, three, four items that are branded, but you only had to get maybe, you know, maybe you bought 20,000 sleeves, but, um, they're cheaper than a cup and they, you know, they, they help you on many, many fronts. Exactly. And so let's, carry forward with this hypothetical coffee shop situation. So, yeah. I mean, something Kelsey and I always try to urge is the sustainability piece of any business. And I think our audience is interested in that as well. So let's say I'm really focused on making sure the way I'm getting my coffee cups built or whatever is sustainable. What do I look for in that situation? First things to look for are, I like to think about the upstream emissions associated with packaging versus downstream. And what I mean by that is upstream means how did you reduce the uh, environmental footprint of the packaging that you're using as much as possible before you even hand it over to your customer? And then secondarily, so that's your first priority. It's like if you have a house, like you don't want to put solar panels on it when it's really, really leaky. Like, like your first step is to make sure, you know, you've sealed it and it's using as little as possible. So, so upstream, you want the, the footprint associated with your packaging to be as low as possible. And then secondarily to that, you want to see, is it recyclable? Is it compostable? Like wh- how can I reduce the, the footprint downstream? And what we find um, all the time here is that, Business owners have some control over upstream. They have very little control over downstream. So the fact that, uh, say, your coffee shop is in Toronto, the city of Toronto does not recycle paper coffee cups. That's not anything that you can control. You could potentially have the bins at your cafe be picked up by a a particular firm who could truck them out to a region that does recycle coffee cups. But probably a majority of the people who come to your cafe are going to be taking, you know, the reason why they got a paper cup is because they want to walk away from your cafe with it. And at that point, they're going to put it in a regular bin somewhere in Toronto or in their home recycling mm-hmm. and it, and it won't be recycled. So wow. that's why we, we emphasize so much the, the upstream side of things um, mm-hmm. just, just because of that. Um, so upstream, what can be done is basically using materials that are recycled So for instance, a box that is craft board instead of like a pure white board, it will have come Mm -hmm. from recycled boxes. So therefore you yourself are contributing to the cycle of recycling. You're encouraging recycling because you are creating a market for recycled board. Therefore you're making it more and more valuable for people to bother to recycle their board because you are purchasing the end product of that. So Mm -hmm. that's that's one thing you can do. Um, Another thing obviously is just using packaging with less material. So if you're, if you're buying a box, Mm -hmm. you know, using thinner board, using less layers of packaging. So literally just less packaging will have, will likely have less emissions associated with it. And then the third thing that we've invested in, because we were trying to do everything we can on that front um, is carbon offsetting. So we will calculate all of the uh, carbon dioxide equivalent, so meaning all of the greenhouse gas emissions associated with 
both production of the raw materials. So making paper, for instance, is one of the most electricity intensive industries in the world, but also manufacturing the packaging itself and then transporting it from wherever in the world it's made all the way yeah. to you as a business owner. So at that point, so we'll, we'll offset all of that. We invest in mature forestry projects. So specifically one oh, cool. in BC, it's called Darkwoods. Um, and it's a, it's, a for, it's a mature forestry project there. So we offset all of that. So then by the time you as a business owner hand over your packaging, you're saying, I cannot control what the city of Toronto can process, but mm-hmm. I've done everything I can um, to reduce the emissions associated with this packaging. Wow, that is so cool. I never would even think to distinguish like upstream versus downstream. That makes so much sense. And I, thanks for highlighting that. One really dumb question. When we talk about recycling versus composting, what does mm-hmm. that mean? And how much control does the actual brand have over that? Mm-hmm. Great question. So exact same thing. You have no control over whether your city can compost Uh, packaging. So again, if we look at the city of Toronto, there is a very extensive composting program, but it's primarily focused on organics. So food waste, uh, you know, leaves and branches and, and garden waste, that sort of thing. Now it cannot take compostable packaging. So every, every city will have its own position on that. Um, I would say at this point, Still, the vast majority of cities in North America do not have a municipal compost system. So it's wonderful if if one does. But even of the cities that do have municipal compost systems, the vast majority of those do not accept compostable packaging. The, ex- the, the mm. exception to that being the super, super thin bags that you put your compost in Uh, ones that are labeled like these are specifically for your compost those are very much intended for the compost system and they can take those but other compostable packaging um, it's rare for it to be able to be processed recycling essentially means taking a material so say you have an aluminum can it means taking the aluminum cans and melting them down and then forming Uh, new aluminum cans. So aluminum is one of the materials that is most important to recycle because it takes so much energy to isolate aluminum, but it is extremely easy to recycle. Um, Hmm. Plastic, on the other hand, is very tricky to recycle. Um, So a, a, a very small portion of plastic that you put in the blue bin will actually be recycled. I think in Canada right now, it's about 9% of the plastic is recycled. Now composting on the other hand, uh, so it'll go to a a compost facility. And just like if you've ever used a a backyard compost, you end up having like little, it's a a mashup of like little worms and bacteria Mm -hmm. and they're kind of munching away and it gets quite warm in the compost heap. And essentially everything decomposes and after some time uh, with added oxygen, because you're always like fluffing the compost, uh, after a while it becomes lovely new earth, which is extremely fertile and can then be, um, for instance, transported to a farm and put on the crops and really, really add Mm. lots of nutrients. So, but composting is very, uh, I think it's, it's attractive uh, it feels very like homey and wholesome, but I'd say <laughs> that uh, it is ultimately a less direct way to reuse um, 
-hmm. materials just because if I'm imagining a tree, like I can put paper in the compost, it'll decompose, it'll go onto a field, maybe the field will have a little tree and it'll help the tree to grow. And then I, right, I like cut down the tree. But if I'm just looking at paper and recycling it, I can just mush up the paper with some water and create new cardboard immediately. So it's a more direct route if you can really recycle something and the market is there to purchase it. Okay. Yeah. That was going to be my question is, is one or the other better, but I think that makes sense. And I'm just blown away by (laughs) how little actually gets recycled. And even like, it's just so, it feels so deceiving that they have these recycling bins in the cities, but that actually doesn't go anywhere. It's yeah, it's kind of shocking. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's it's hard for cities. I think it's a challenge for them to educate people around what is recyclable and, and what is compostable. And it's hard for the end user, too, because you might get a type of packaging and you don't really know what it's made out of. It's possible that the business owner didn't know what it was made out of either. Yeah. And so there's this whole big wash of like, what is this stuff and <laughs> where should I put it? So I think... That's why we feel like education is so, so, so important so that everybody can know a little bit more and, um, you know, do, do their best, right? Because everyone, I think everyone wants to do their best on this front. Um, but we, a lot, most of us just don't know how to. Totally. If you think back to every packaging product that you have made up until this point, which one or which category has the least negative environmental impact? Uh, that's a really good question. I would have to do math on that officially, but I'd say (laughs) if I had to go by instinct, uh, we make a lot of paperboard boxes that are made out of recycled board. Okay. And those can quite easily be then recycled and returned into that, into that, uh, cycle. If a, if a cardboard box gets greasy, it can then be yeah. composted. Okay. So if I look at sort of all aspects, like how easy it is to dispose of it and turn it into something new, how low the emissions were in terms of its initial production. The other aspect of those boxes is that craft board is made in Canada. We don't have any paperboard mills left in Canada that do virgin or like very white brand new board anymore. So that has to come from the States, but recycled board, there's a large industry for that in Canada. So we'd be buying the board here, the boxes would be made here. And then if they were used, you know, say in Toronto, that would be a a low footprint from a transportation perspective. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go out and make an assumption. Are these products that are easier to recycle or easier to compost, are they oftentimes more expensive? No, I think that whether something is recyclable or compostable really just depends on the material itself. So, uh, for instance, if you bought, uh, if we made you boxes that were made out of recycled board compared to new Mm -hmm. board, the recycled would be cheaper just Mm. because um, ultimately we're using kind of a waste product in the raw materials versus new board would require literally cutting down a forest. So wouldn't wouldn't say necessarily. No. Yeah. Okay. That's great to know. Yeah. That's actually surprising to me too. Yeah. I assume that if you want to go the more sustainable route, it might mean, you know, budget wise, you have to put more into that. And maybe that's just a perception in the market, but um, that's a good note to make for sure. That if you want to prioritize, prioritize this for your business, it doesn't always mean that you have to spend a lot more. 
Yeah, yeah. no, definitely not. Definitely not. On the topic of spending a bit more, um, we wanted to go into like pricing and budgeting and yeah. how founders and business owners should be thinking about it. What advice do you have for them? Yeah, I love this question so much. So what I found um, over talk, you know, many years of talking to people about packaging is that people have a perception around packaging that it should be extremely cheap. And I think that that's because, mm. you know, as as end consumers, we never have the experience of purchasing packaging, right? If I buy perfume, mm -hmm. I'm not buying the box separately oh. from the perfume. It, I would never know that that box probably costs $15 to make because it oh is God. so elaborate. There are many products out there where the packaging costs more than the product itself. So no um, way. Totally. Oh absolutely. So a lot, a lot of work goes into packaging. And so what I, what I hear often is, is people saying, I just want, you know, the cheapest thing possible. And to me, in terms of budgeting, that's not a number like packaging will never go to zero. It's not like Starbucks has a, you know, a zero spend on packaging. My understanding is that, um, Starbucks, for instance, we chatted with um, a former um, operating officer there, they spend about two and a half percent of their revenue on packaging. And that is their wow. target. So they're not just hoping it'll go down to zero if you become infinitely large. Now, when I have, you know, an individual cafe come to me and say, okay, if, if they had to pick a number in their budget, they want to aim for two percent. That that to us is unrealistic because if someone as large as Starbucks is spending two and a half percent, it's very, very yeah. difficult for us to get someone's budget down to 2% if they only have one location, just because packaging, uh, the unit cost, as I said, in terms of all the setup and all that unit cost, of course, comes down the more you run. So we generally mm -hmm. see that brands we work with are spending between, I'd say three, three and a half up to maybe seven to 8% of their revenue on packaging very much depends on the product, how design focused they are, how elaborate their packaging is, uh, you know, how many bells and whistles it has. But I think that people have to be realistic about like get it, getting in a range that's, that's, um, that's real. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I feel like when you're starting a business, it could be one of those aspects of your budgeting that just gets overlooked. Cause like you said, totally. we're not used to, like we don't know when we're purchasing something, we're actually paying for the packaging as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I can definitely see how that would kind of get forgotten about. And then all of a sudden you ordered all your product and you're like, oh shit, <laughs> where, how do I package it? Where does it go? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, kind of think of like, if you're looking at all the components of a brand, for example, you think of how much people spend on photo shoots and the social posts and influencer relationships. And those are all contributing factors to brand. Of course, you know, you're going to pay for it. When it comes to packaging, I think it would be a lot easier for these founders to think of this as like a branding cost than like an operational cost or a sunk cost, because that's a huge touch point. And like you said, at the beginning of this conversation, Sarah, it's now like free PR. No, <laughs> so absolutely. Totally. It's, it's a hundred percent. It's, it is a marketing spend and you're right. You have to think about it that way because if you're buying unbranded packaging, that packaging is bringing nothing to your business except literally containing the coffee so that yeah. it can walk out the door with a customer right. versus if you're branding it. And of course, when you're branding packaging, it is going to cost more than unbranded, especially when you're starting out and you're doing smaller quantities, you can get great pricing as you 
you ramp up and you get bigger. But that is the purpose of, of buying those larger runs and branding it. It's so that people, you know, develop this mental, um, like a memory of, of your, yeah. of your brand basically, because if we we've done studies on this where, uh, you might have a sign outside with your name on it, you might have a sandwich board, you, you know, that kind of thing, but people will not take nearly as many photos of your brand in those contexts as mm -hmm. they will if it's on the packaging. But Mm -hmm. And I, I'm just curious, like, obviously, it depends so much on the product and the brand that's pre-established. Do you notice packaging trends across different consumer verticals like bakeries versus, you know, physical product companies, anything like that? Yeah, I'm trying to think what I mean, there's always, you know, shifts in terms of aesthetics that are that are evolving. I think that people are of course, very much trying to move away from plastic. I think that even in the in the 2000s and teens there, there was still a lot of, okay, well, we'll put a plastic liner on the inside or we'll put plastic trays. There was still a plastic element to a lot of packaging, but people are mm -hmm. making an effort to find a paper alternative. I think that that has pros and cons. Personally, I think it looks nicer and I, I think it's more tactile. It feels uh, higher quality to me in terms of, downstream environmental aspects, it is much more recyclable if you have paper versus plastic. However, paper is not a low emission material. And so you can often get away with using far less material if you're using plastic compared to paper. So you might actually end up, you know, if your packaging is not carbon neutral or what have you, regardless, the emissions of the paper might still be higher than the emissions associated with oh, plastic. Yeah, I just feel like there's so many factors <laughs> to consider. As people, for sure. Yeah, well, and that's why we need people like you, Sarah. If you were to give like one piece of advice, stay away from X, Y, Z, what would that be? Ooh, uh, number one is right now, anyway, we have so many inquiries about compostable packaging, compostable plastics, and mm. I am not bearish on them. I just want people to check with their municipality to see if they can be composted there. And if you're selling mm -hmm. across North America, check your top five to 10 cities you're shipping to. Can they compost that packaging? And uh, I think there's a lot of confusion around that and, and people putting plastics in, in the compost that ultimately are just going to be sifted out. So just get, like become familiar with your municipalities recycling slash composting like the, there's always like a waste wizard you can look up and you can type in whatever product and just educate yourself you know it's different in every mm -hmm. city so one thing I want to circle back on you chatted earlier about being carbon neutral how's what's the easiest way for a business to make that commitment like are there some good organizations they can become a part of or what is that process like that's a good question. So we started this a couple of years ago. I would say that the landscape is still, it's a bit wild west-ish. Uh, <laughs> we, we really had to figure out ourselves um, what our missions were for every single product that we, that we make. And we're constantly revising our calculations and looking at our assumptions and seeing if they still make sense or if any tweaks are needed. So we've done all the math on, on that front and relied on, you know, our partners as much as we can to, to provide us extra data, but that's something we've okay. done in house. I'm sure there are companies that help with that. 
I've never hired one myself. And then in terms of the actual offsets, there are different types out there. We specifically wanted to work with forestry projects and Mm -hmm. just as opposed to, you know, newer technologies that are maybe, I don't know, absorbing carbon dioxide at the bottom of the ocean or something. I just personally feel like if I look at all of the systems in the world, like trees are the like the OG carbon absorbers. And so (laughs) they're very efficient and very good at it. And we have so many of them. So like, let's, let's like, let's protect them. Mm -hmm. And mature forests specifically are so absorptive and worth preserving. And um, so our projects are, are all around mature forests as opposed to planting new trees, which also needs to happen absolutely. But for us, when you're planting new trees, they won't actually be absorbing carbon dioxide for probably 25 to 50 years. And wow. so although it needs to be done, I, we have opted to invest in projects that are absorbing carbon dioxide right now which is what mm-hmm. the old old growth forests are doing. Okay, interesting. Now I just want to go research more about yeah. this stuff because it's right. so interesting. And it's something, you know, I come across every day. Like I'm always wondering, can I put my lid in the recycling? Or can I, you know, all that sort of stuff. Well, actually, yeah. that's a great thing to bring up. If people want to learn more, what resources do you recommend? Top resource would be your city's uh, waste website. I think okay. that... That's the best place to start in terms of what uh, what can be done locally to you. I really like going, if I go to a business, I really like asking, you know, the barista or whoever is working there, can you tell me a little bit more about your packaging? Like, was it made here or can I recycle it? And that mm-hmm. some, some of that is information gathering, but some of it honestly is more just letting them know that I, as a consumer, care about this, I'm interested in it. And if they haven't posted that information publicly, like it doesn't say on the side of their cup, like this cup is recyclable in the city of Manitoba or what have you, then I don't know, but I would love to know. And so if they, you know, maybe they could put a sign on the recycling that says, you know, we're sorry, but the city of Toronto doesn't recycle coffee cups, mm-hmm. but we do compost. Please put your leftover coffee in this bin or, or what have you. Um, in terms of learning more, so, well, I also have a... You can also check out our Instagram, so just Georgia yes. Packaging, and we have a series of videos that I've done, which are very dorky and amateur, but I, I cover one type of packaging uh, for every video, and I just talk about, you know, how, how, to, how to best dispose of it, basically. So mm-hmm. that's another kind of fun, fun resource. Another great resource. Yeah, absolutely. No, we love your Instagram. We were looking at a lot of your videos earlier today. So really cool. Cool. Um, I had one other thing and now my mind is blanking. Oh, I think what I was going to touch on is just the importance of, as a consumer, showing that it's something you care about, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think as more brands see that this is something that their customers want, and if they you know, want to bring in new customers and retain customers, it's something they need to pay attention to. I think that can really help the shift. And I think for anyone watching who's not an entrepreneur, but a consumer, um, you know, putting the pressure on and just showing that you're interested and you, you care about these things is another way to help this, help fight the good fight, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) No, I, I, I totally agree. I think that a lot of business owners, if, if they don't, if they aren't aware of how much their customers care about this, 
they're diluting themselves a little bit. People definitely care about this topic. They will choose to support brands who do their best on this front. And even if it's just to be totally transparent and saying, here are the things we can do and here are the things that we cannot control, but we're, we're working on improving that, people appreciate that. And, mm -hmm. you know, because ultimately consumers are depending on business owners to make decisions on their behalf and, and they're looking up to them to, to make the right decisions. I mean, every question we ask, I'm just so confident that we picked the exact right person <laughs> to come on and talk about packaging. Sarah, you are, this is one of our most educational episodes mm -hmm. yet. Like I'm confident of mm -hmm. that. If anyone wants to learn more, seriously, I implore you to go check out the Georgette packaging Instagram page. Like Sarah mentioned, she's got tons of great resources there. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on and going through literally packaging 101 with us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Okay, we went in a lot of different directions in that episode. The one thing that I hadn't even thought of before is this whole idea of protecting mature forests, mm -hmm. right? And you think of packaging and you're like, oh, this has to be destructive. This has to be bad for the environment. And then you look at all of these like offsetting initiatives that Sarah and Georgette are taking. And it's like, wow, there is a way to make this sustainable and you know, the years of companies being destructive without giving back, I think they're on their way out. And I mean, yeah, they kind of have to be. Yeah. Like with the state of, of the world and climate change and all of that, I think this is just such an important topic to touch on. And yeah, I was also really interested that planting a tree, you mm -hmm. don't actually see the impact of that for 20 years. And obviously it's important, but that's not something I'd realized. Mm -hmm. And there's so many companies that plant trees like when you purchase, which is yeah. great. But anyways, I learned something today. <laughs> Big time. I learned a lot of things today. Sarah was so good. And the other thing I like about her, and then I promise I'll stop singing her praises, um, is just how approachable she is. Like she knows so much and her knowledge is so deep in this industry. And it's something I knew nothing about going into it. And you would never know. Like she was so nice about it. She explained things so thoroughly. And I think now... Um, when I eventually do launch my own product company, and this is something I'm going to have to think about, Georgette's the first phone call I'm going to mm -hmm. make. Absolutely. So if you're interested in getting in contact with Georgette, hello at georgettepackaging.com is the email to reach them at, or you can visit them on Instagram at georgettepackaging or view their website. Lots of good resources there. As always, is it getting old yet that I always ask for ratings and reviews? <laughs> but if you enjoy our content, it really helps us out if you can subscribe, rate, and review. And we're on Instagram at they.get.it. Until next week. See you next week. Bye.